0: but our primary focus will be on what we believe are the film succeeds at, some fun facts and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. office and get the bull whip. a whipping that's all they get after what they've done
1: it was a matter of honor they're paying a thousand dollars to whatever kills the two boys that cut up delilah in a time when lawmen were killers what are you all looking at you english bob outlaws were heroes
0: well i thought that you were dead hell i even thought i was dead till i found out it was just in nebraska and a bad reputation you're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri was as good as gold
1: my guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money say what?
0: you don't look no meaner than hell cold blooded damn killer
1: I ain't like that anymore kid thousand dollars reward, will. nobody's gonna come so you still have that Spencer rifle huh? Yeah, he's my partner, if he don't go, I don't
0: go, what's come to three, ways.
1: Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. Are you really going to kill them, cowboy? I do not like
0: assassins, or men of low character. We ain't bad men no more, we're farmers. A bunch of bloody savages! Assassin. Well, I guess they have it coming.
1: We all have it coming, kid. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Unforgiven. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Sin on podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and I'm Kyle. Kyle, today we've been talking about episode 145, Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Um, and Kyle, this is ranked number 68 of all time according to AFI's Top 100. So I wrote down some movies that um, it beat and some that are just right above it. So as this, like I said, this is number 68. The ones that uh, a couple that are right ahead ahead of us, 66 is Raiders of the Lost Ark, and 67 is um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Here are some of the movies that it beat, which some of them are very interesting choices. So, uh, so like I said, this was 68. 71 was Saving Private Ryan. Mm. 72 was Shawshank Redemption. Wow. 74 was Silence of the Lambs. 76 was Forrest Gump. And 87, 12 Angry Men, which I think is one of the... Top five movies of all time, but yeah, uh, that just goes to show you where they have this ranked uh, as far as all time. So I thought that was very, very interesting. So, Kyle, before we get started, let me throw a question your way. Okay, Kyle, what's your favorite Clint Eastwood film?
0: Favorite Clint Eastwood film?
1: Oh gosh, um, probably Dirty
0: Harry, probably Dirty Harry, the first film. Yeah, um, I feel like the film probably. <laughs> Age poorly for a lot of audiences but I, th- I still appreciate the film a great deal and I think it's just a, it's an amazing to watch every single time. <laughs> so, Did you ever see
1: uh, Bridges over Madison County?
0: Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Well. Probably close to all it would be like Grand Termina or something like that though. Um, I don't know how many other Clint Eastwood films I actually watched. I did watch all the Dirty Harry films though. Um, Jimbo, what's your favorite Clint Eastwood film?
1: Well, he's known for a lot of westerns. Um, we did cover Dirty Harry which is pretty good. Um and was it the good the bad and the ugly I think
0: yeah that was the nice premier western for sure. yeah I
1: think that was pretty good yeah um so Kyle uh, this is going to be a longer episode because when you talk about one of the top one hundred movies there's just so much more information unlike last week with Jailhouse Rock um, there's just not a lot of information out there but when you get and it's an older movie but when you get something like this that was what 1992 I believe mm-hmm. um where there's a lot was, more documentation I was about a freshman it. in high school yeah. or eighth grade or freshman when this came out so um there's a lot more uh, facts and information because, you know, the internet and all that started to come around and there's can be preserved more and more information instead of just, hey, yeah. we lost all this information in a fire. Yeah. So Well, plus,
0: Joe you know, Rock, I mean, like, you just, like, Everything you talk about the film, like, you just kind of talking about Elvis Presley for an hour instead of talking about the film itself, like, right. we are going to dive deeper on it, So, like, everyone kind of knows Elvis Presley. Maybe someday we'll do a podcast where we just talk about Elvis Presley all together as, like, a huge person doing one of those character-focused episodes, but, like, Unforgiven is just, like, it's an all-encompassing film, and, like, like Clint Eastwood is just a side part of this entire film and not about the entire legacy going on and
1: it. And I will you know? say this about Unforgiven is you have a main story, okay, mm-hmm. but... There's so many side stories that could have went with this that you forgot about the main story. <laughs> it's oh, a very
0: yeah. interesting you, movie. You can definitely get lost asking a whole lot of questions about characters just because there's so many characters that have a fully-fledged background to them. And you're thinking, you oh, well,
1: this guy's going to come back as, like, uh, the English guy, English mm-hmm. Bill or whatever. Yeah, English Bob. Bob. Yeah. yeah. Bob. Well, oh, this guy's going to come back. You never see him again after, after he leaves town, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's very, very well intricate and detailed, and, and you can tell by the script writing this is very well done. So, Kyle, take it away.
0: All right. Taking it away now, Jimbo. We have Unforgiven, released on August 7th of 1992. Um, directed by Clint Eastwood. Written by David Webb Peoples. Produced by Clint Eastwood. Composed by Lenny Niehaus. Cinematography by Jack N. Green. Edited by Joel Cox. Casting director was Phillips Huffman, and production designer was Henry Bernstead plot ceremony of this quick film was, after escaping death by the skin of their teeth, the disfig- uh, disfigured prostitute, play, uh, character, play, uh, character Delilah Fitzgerald, and her appalled and equally furious co worker summoned up the courage to seek retribution in an 1880s Wyoming's dangerous town of Big Whiskey. With the hefty bounty put on the perpetrator's head, triggered by the tough sheriff's little Bill Daggert's insufficient sense of justice, the infamous former outlaw and now destitute cobbheimer Hark Farmer hog Farmer there we go William <laughs> Money Farmer <Fork>. for- <laughs>
1: this is a Hogwarts okay
0: <laughs> destitute Kansas hog farmer William Money embarks on a murderous last mission to find the men behind the hideous crime along with his old partner in crime Ned Logan and a brash but inexperienced young goodman the Schofield Kid Money enters into a perilous world he had once renounced many years ago knowing that he walks right into a deadly trap however he still needs to find a way his ra- way to raise his motherless children now, Blood Demands Blood. Who is the hero and who is the villain? Going into some of the other facts of the film, the film's budget was $14.4 million in 1992. Judging for inflation, that'd be about $31.1 million today. An incredibly cheap movie considering how amazing it looks. Like, this film looks amazing on camera and everything about it is just kind of... Looks fantastic. So incredibly modest budget for what is a beautiful film. Opening weekend, it made fifteen million dollars. Just for inflation, that'd be about thirty-two point five. So made its initial budget back. I'm sure if marketing probably came up about thirty million dollars. So like they still need so many to make. But then luckily gross for the US Canada was 101 million dollars. So more than made his money back by that point. Just for inflation, that'd be about two hundred eighteen point seven million dollars, and then worldwide again, it made a huge amount of it made a huge amount of money for a its budget at one hundred fifty nine million dollars. Just for inflation, that'd be about three hundred forty four point two million dollars. So a huge success on that front, and then when we get to the awards. We'll get to the um, critical um, reception as well. In fact, we'll get into the awards right now. <laughs> um,
1: and awards that did win,
0: yes, and awards that did. Then there's a whole show, there's whole shows that it basically just sweeped the entire awards for. So, in 2014, in the Online Film and Television Association Awards, it was um, inducted into the Film Hall of Fame for a motion picture. So, that's an incredible honor right there. In 2013, um, for the 2020 Awards, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Sound Design, and Best Supporting Actor. And it won the Best Picture Award. In 2004, along with the last movie we actually um, just covered last week, um, it was added to the National Film Registry by the National Film Preservation Board in 2004. So along they both went in on the, the same exact time? same year. That is Unforged cool. Unforgiven and J.R. House We were included <laughs> in the National Film Preservation Board. That is incredible coincidence that I didn't catch until just now <laughs> reading it. That's really cool. Um, next up, we have the um, Cinema Jump Awards. Um, where it won the best foreign language film um, for Clint Eastwood. Now, this is the, for the, I believe, the Japanese film awards. Yeah, and then we have the um, the uh, the Manchi film concours where it also won best foreign language film for, for Clint Eastwood. Next up for the S E C A N awards, it won best foreign film. Next up, we have the Academy Awards. Where it was nominated for Best Sound, um, Best Actor in a Leading Role, um, Clint Eastwood, Best Cinematographer to Jack N. Green, Best Art Direction and Onset Direction to um, Janice Black Gooding and Harry Bumstead, and Best Writing awarded to David Webb Peoples. And then the awards it won was Best Supporting Actor, Best Actor in a Supporting Role to Gene Hackman, Best Picture awarded the best uh, awarded to Clint Eastwood, and Best Director, also awarded to Clint Eastwood. Then in 1993, we have the America Cinema Editors Award, where it won the Best Edited Feature Film Award to Joel Cox. Then for the BAFTA Awards, it was nominated for Best Sound, Best Cinematography, Best Screenplay, Best Direction, and Best Film. And it took home the Best Actor Award, Back to Actor in a supporting role to Gene Hackman. Next up, we have the BMI Film and TV Awards, where it won the Film Music Award. Next up, we have the Dallas Fort Worth Film Critics Association Awards, where it entirely swept the award show with Best Picture, Best Cinematographer, Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor. It won all of those awards. <laughs> Incredible achievement there. Next up, for the 1983 Directors Guild of America Award, where it won the Outstanding Directorial Achievement in a Motion Picture. Then, for the Empire Awards in 1993, it won the Best Film Award, where to Clint Eastwood for his Malaposa Productions. Next up, we have the Fotogramas de Plata Awards, where it won the Best Foreign Film. Then for the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Picture and Best uh, best Screenplay, and it won the, the awards for Best Director and Best Performances by an Actor in a Supporting Role in the Most Picture. Next up, we have the Ho Chi Film Awards, where it won Best film Foreign Language Film. Then for the London Critics Circles Film Awards, it won the Film of the Year Award in 1993. And then in 1993, for the National Study of Film Critics Awards, it, it, was, uh, uh, it won Best Screenplay, Best Director, Best Film, and Best Screen Actor. Then for the Nikan Sports Film Awards, it won Best Foreign Film. And then for the St. George Awards, it won Best Foreign Film as well. Then for the Western Heritage Awards... The Western Heritage Awards, sorry, it won the award for the Bronze Wrangler for a Theatrical Motion Picture Award. Then for the Western Writers of America, it won the Spur Award for Best Movie Script. Next up, we have the 1992 Awards Circuit Community Awards, where it won the Best Cinematography and Best Director, and also Best Film Editing. Then for the Boston Society of Film Critics, it won the Best Picture, Best Cinematography, and Best Supporting Actor. And then for the Cahir de Cinema Award, it won the Best Film Award for the Top 10 Films of that year. Next up, we have the 1992 Kansas City Film Critics Circle Awards, where it won Best Film, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor. Oh, also for its Best Film Award, it actually tied with the film The Player, also released in 1992. haven't watched that film personally. Next up, we have the 1992 Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards, where it almost sweeped the entire awards, except for one little second place thing we'll get to in a second, where it won <laughs> oh, Best man. Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay, and Best Actor, and Best Picture, and then finally it came in second place for Best Cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1992, it also was added to the Top 10 Films of the Year Award to to the National Board of Review in the, 19- in the USA. And then for the 1992 New York film, C- film, um, New York film Critics Circle Awards, it won the award for Best Screening Actor to Gene Hackman. Some of the technical details of the film here. This film has a runtime of 130 minutes or 2 hours and 10 minutes by um, you know, production there. Sound mix of the film. This is actually a Dolby Surround Sound West Trek Recording System audio. This is a color film. Aspect ratio is 2.39 by 1. The camera used were the Panavision cameras and lenses. And for the total film length, we have 3,487 meters of film. Some of the aspects of the filming location may be interested to you. Um, This film was not actually filmed in Wyoming, where it takes place. Instead, it was filmed in Brooks, Alberta, Canada, um, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Drumheller in Alberta, Canada, and High River in Alberta, Canada, and also Longview in Alberta, Canada, and some other shots were filmed in the Red Hills Ranch in the um, uh, Red Hills Ranch in Sonora, California, um, specifically during the train sequence with um, uh, English Bob. Next up, there's only one song in this film. It's Claudia's song, which is both the um, I believe the beginning and the ending of the movie, and uncredited, but it was written by Clint Eastwood and Lena Neihouse. So that's the. Um, well, that's
1: not the only song. It's just that's it's, the it's, score. Or for the soundtrack of the film, yeah. it's the
0: only it's the score, the original score, the original song for the music, anyways. Finally, moving on to the cast of the film, we have the legendary, iconic Colleen Eastwood playing the character of William Money. Clayton Acewood, of course, many other films, such as Million Dollar Baby in 2004, The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly in 1966, and Dirty Harry in 1971, and many more films on top of that. Grant Torino, many, lots of films. Dude, just never stop making films. It's great. Next up, we have Gene Hackman, playing the character of Little Bill Taggart. Gene Hackman, of course, also a legendary actor of his own right, um, in such films as just Hoosiers in 1986. The French Connection, 1971, and Enemy of the State in 1998. Then we have Morgan Freeman playing the character of Ned Logan. Morgan Freeman, of course, in many films as well, um, such as Invictus in 2009, The Shawshank Redemption in 1994, Bruce Almighty in 2003. Classic comedy right there. And then we have Richard Harris playing the character of English Bob. Richard Harris, an amazing actor, his own well, such as well, um, in such films such as Gladiator in the original 2000 film, and uh, he was also in uh, the first two Harry Potter films, in Harry Potter, The Stone, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, there we go, that's a sequel's name, <laughs> to remind myself of that, um, next up we have James Wolvet playing the Schofield Kid, James Wolvet was also in the show um, White Fang from 1993 to 1984, and the film Going Black in 2001. Next up, we have Saul Rubinek playing the character of W.W. Chomp, the um, writer of the film. Um, not, not the writer of the film, the writer in the film, <laughs> who's uh, recording English Bob's um, uh, escapades. Saul Rubinek was also in such films, such as The Bowd of Buster Scruggs in 2018. And his very next film after this was True Romance in 1993, the film we covered just, uh, what was it, two or three weeks ago now? Yep, no. So, an incredible little small world moment there. Next up, we have Frances Fisher playing the character of Strawberry Alice. Um, Frances Fisher was also in the film Titanic, which we also discovered a few weeks ago in nineteen ninety-seven, and then she was also in the film Gone in Sixty Seconds with Nicolas Cage.
1: Who Classic was she in
0: Titanic? Do you remember? She was um, uh, the, the mother of the, of the of, Kate, Winslet. of Kate Winslet's mother. Yeah, I forgot the name of the character, but that's what she played. Next up, we have Anna Thompson, playing the character of Delilah Fitzgerald, the uh, prostitute who gets uh, uh, scarred up by the uh, perpetrators of the film at the very beginning. Um, Anna Thompson's also, her very next film after this, was True Mance in 1993. And she was also in the films Sue in 1997 and Fiona in 1998. Next up, we have also the, the actor David Mucci, playing the character of Quick Mike. David Mushi was also in the films Half-Baked in 1998 and Lethal Tender in 1996. Next up we have Rob Campbell playing the character of David Bunting. Rob Campbell was also in the films The Crucible in 1996, Dark Matter in 2007, and The Crossing in 2018. Next up we have Anthony James playing the character of Skinny Du Bois. Um, Anthony James was also in the film The Naked Gun, Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear in 1991. <laughs> Love that title. Still to this day. And he was also in In the Heat of the Night in 1967, a film we've also covered on this very podcast as well. Next up, we have character, um, uh, you know, the actor Tara Patrick playing the character of Little Sue. Tara Patrick was also in the films Watchmen in, in 2009, sorry, um, and Future Sport in 1998. Next up, we have Beverly Elliott, playing the character of Silky. Beverly Elliott was also in the films The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants in 2005, and Walking Tall with Dwayne Johnson in 2004. Then lastly, we have Lisa Ripo Martell, playing the character of Faith. Lisa was also in the films Lars and the Real Girl in 2007, and Scared Silent in 2002. And that surmises the cast of Unforgiven.
1: Jimbo, let's move on to the trivia. Well, first things first. Um oh, okay. Do you know if this was based on a true story or not? Uh, yes, I, I, it's, it's based on me. I did this.
0: Um, I'm Lean money. Um, oh, I have no idea about it's Based on a true story? Well,
1: I just didn't know because those. You know, this film starts off with uh, a text at the beginning and a text at the end. So I'm going to read what the text says at the beginning. And then when we go to leave, I'll read the one that's at the end. So okay, uh, it says she was a comely young woman and not without prospects. Therefore, it was heartbreaking to her mother that she would enter into marriage with William Mooney, a known thief and murderer, a man of notoriously vicious and intemperate disposition. So I thought that was interesting. Um, So here we go. Let's talk about the trivia. There is a lot more uh, to this than our last movie. Oh, one
0: second here. Um, uh, So... Um, the film is not based on a true story. The film was written by David Webb Peoples, who had run an Oscar-nominated film, The Day After Trinity, and co-written Blade Runner, Blade Runner with Henry Fapton. So this is a completely original film, an original story.
1: All right. So uh, this script uh, had floated around Hollywood for pff, 20 years or so. Uh, Gene Hackman had read it, and he also rejected it, only to be later convinced by Clint Eastwood, who had on the ride uh, for some time to play the role. Uh, this is the third Western to win the Best Picture Oscar. Kyle, do you know what the other two are?
0: I have, I have some guesses, but I don't know what they are. Let's now. take some guesses. Uh, I'm going to say How the West Was Won. Can you no. the this film. No. Ooh. Um, Wasn't Blazing Saddles. No. Um, mm, was it The Good, Bad, and the Ugly? No. Once Upon a Time in the West. No. What? Um, okay, where this those films, from? I don't know. Dances
1: with Wolves and Cimarron, which, C-I-M-A-R-O-N, which I believe is like 1932 or 1931. So
0: It's weird that I don't think of Dancing with Wolves as necessarily a Western film. Maybe that's just me. Okay, that's could be anyone else.
1: Yeah. Sure. Uh, the final uh, screen, uh, screen credit reads, dedicated to Sergio and Don, referring to Clint Eastwood's mentor, Sergio Leone and Don Siegel, which I thought was pretty cool. Although the score was arranged by Lenny Nihas, the main theme was written by none other than Clint Eastwood himself. So not only is he an actor, he's also a musical
0: prodigy, and I was like, an amazing writer, an amazing director. Um, yeah, how many W's can one man have? Clint Eastwood is the answer. Clint Eastwood is the
1: answer. <laughs> Which... He's still alive, right? Yeah, he's still alive. And so is Gene Hackman?
0: Uh, yeah, Gene Hackman. And they're both 90-something years old? I think Gene Hackman is fully retired, but I think Clint Eastwood still does work. Well, I'm just
1: saying, they're, they're both, they are they're they both were both born in 1930, I do believe, and they're both still I'm looking, with I'm looking
0: us. up right now. Yeah, Gene Hackman, who is 93 years old.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, uh, Richard Harris uh, was watching High Plains Drifter on television when Clint Eastwood called and offered him a part uh, as English Bob. Hey. <laughs> This is so mean. Clint Eastwood's mother, Ruth Wood, toiled through an uncomfortable day wearing a heavy dress as an extra, filming a scene where she boards a train. However, the scene was eventually cut with her son (laughs) apologizing that the movie was just too long and something had to go. (laughs) However, all was forgiven when he brought her to the Academy Awards and thanked her prominently in his acceptance speech. So Aww. we might have to throw that here at the end of the episode if I can find it. Uh, Maybe there's
0: a YouTube short of it we can right. put up
1: there. Yeah, This was shot in just 39 days, coming in four days ahead of schedule. Wow. The town had to be built very quickly with a relatively short run-up time, two months, to the start of filming. The stunt coordinator used the construction period to work on actors' writing skills and stunt choreography.
0: Yeah, some choreography. Um yeah, I know Clint Eastwood is famous for being like a kind of a one shot director. Like he always just takes the first shot and immediately moves on to the next thing. I remember, um, gosh, I remember the movie Inn where Matt Damon plays like a soccer coach in Africa. Um but he said like he has a story basically where he goes if I can find it on YouTube, maybe I'll share it on the Facebook group afterwards. Um but he goes it's just like like <laughs> Clint Eastwood filmed the shot and then Matt you know finished the shot and Matt Dean would do whatever the best he could if that first shot, and then Claymus would be like, all right, good, move on to the next one. And then Matt Dean would stop him like, I think I could probably do it better. She you not want to get one more take. And it's like, I could get I could maybe spend all day here and get one better take. Or I can move on to the next best thing and get a good shot there. <laughs> and it was just a moment. She, was
1: like, like, you're not gonna mess with Plenty Eastwood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he knows exactly what he wants to do, which is great. Uh Frances Fisher said that David Webb <laughs> people's original script was one of the most perfect she had ever written. As it almost read like a novel, she illustrated this with the fact that while most scripts are full of later revisions marked by red ink all over the pages and in the margins, this one hardly had anything. One of the few changes that Clint Eastwood made to people's script was to remove the opening voiceover and replace it with the text, which I read earlier.
0: I think that kind of goes into like later kind of like a... Uh, when you ask a question, if it's based on a true story or if it's based on a. Uh, that's, why I, that's why because I why it, it, It's so well developed from the get go. Like every single character in that film feels like a real person. Right.
1: well, is he, you know, during the film, you, uh, William Money talks about all these people he'd killed before and all this, and you're like, this has a whole history because to it. Because he says the famous line, he's like, I've killed women and children. I've killed everything that walks or crawls at one time or another. And I'm here to kill you, Little Bill, for what you've done to Ned. Yeah. Which like you
0: could believe that every name character in this film had a whole biography built up for him before you even saw the film. Like it really is like you could, uh, you know, as much as, as much as people hate remakes or like a reinterpretation nowadays, it's one thing in the world where it's like, I could almost see the unforgiven being like a TV show in many respects. Cause like every single character is so well-developed immediately that I'm like, Oh, I know exactly where those characters would go in like a whole series of shows. If you want to do something like that ever in the future, I think it'd be kind of incredible to watch. You know, um,
1: this was shot in Calgary, Canada. Uh, shout out to Bret Hart. Uh, which was experiencing <laughs> 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 Anytime anyone brings up Canada. Shout out to Bret Hart. <laughs> Calgary. Alberta, Canada is where he's Um It was, a, it was unusually dry weather. Most of the rain was created on site. The snow that falls when William Money is recovering from his beating was unexpected and unscripted. To maintain the authentic atmosphere, no motor vehicles were allowed on the Big Whiskey set. Uh, also, like if you ever go up to um, Mackinac Island, there's no vehicles up there. I think maybe one ambulance, and one police car, but other than that, it's all horses or walking or bicycles. Walking, cool. Uh, production designer Henry Bumstead took only 32 days to have the Big Whiskey set constructed, the fastest, fastest in his lengthy career. It took Clint Eastwood several years to actually get around to reading the scripts because the script reader had initially told him that it wasn't very good. Oh, my God. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Fired. Uh, Clint Eastwood asked Gene Hagman to model Little Bill Daggett on then Los Angeles Police Chief Daryl Gates. So, Kyle, look up Daryl Gates, Police Chief, and let's see if Little Bill is actually modeled after him as I go on. That's really damning if it is. (laughs) Uh, Clint Eastwood said at this, uh, at the time, that this would be the last movie that he would both act in and direct. He has since been actor and director in several other films.
0: Uh, there I wouldn't. I can see an immediate resemblance just because he's just like generic police chief looking dude. No, no. He but said he
1: said to model it after him. Not. To look oh, all right. Like I'm modeling after his character yes, himself, like yes, he Not did. what he
0: looks like. What is the controversies that Daryl gave participated in? could be damning um this could be too real for the podcast i'll see how it goes but i'll see what i can find
1: all right moving on uh the boots Clint eastwood wore are the same ones he wore in rawhide the movie these boots are now part of eastwood's private collection in 2005 they were loaned out to the sergio Leone exhibit at the gene autry museum of western heritage in los angeles california The Boots basically bookended Eastwood's career in Westerns.
0: Oh, okay. Um, All right, here we go, Kyle. uh, uh, Yeah, so Daryl Gates was the police chief um, um, in charge of the events during the... um, the excessive force being used on Rodney King. Rodney King. Back, back. That's what I was thinking. That's why. So specifically, his avoidance of any punishment for the police officers in that case, um, those kind of situations, and failure to like bring you know um, adequate justice to those scenarios is how they kind of use their adaptation of him for the film. Well, then
1: I guess you can see where Little Bill starts putting the boot to... Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: Um, Actually, specifically Gene Hackman wrote that he referred to Daggert overseeing Ned Logan's torture scene as my Rodney King scene, which is
1: interesting <laughs> well I mean if he's gonna model it after you know yeah yeah I, I,
0: I don't think it was you know it, it was no it was not lost upon them at all that they got Morgan Freeman a black man to be tortured in that scene and he was the one person who actually does suffer in the way that everyone else does in the character in the film um, so that's interesting to see and it's very damning it sounds like Daryl Gates was
1: a, a bad person <laughs> <laughs> alright well now that we got that out of the way like I said could be too podcast <laughs> At around 37 minutes, Deputy Clyde's line about why a one-armed man needed to carry three pistols, I don't want to get killed from lack of being able to shoot back, is sometimes attributed to James Butler, Wild Bill Hickok. He usually carried two pistols around his waist, another in a shoulder holster, sometimes another stuck in the back of his belt, and usually had at least one Derringer hidden somewhere. While working as a lawman, he usually carried a sawed-off shotgun as well. Hickok also laughed at Ned Buttonline's report about his killing 20 men with 20 shots, saying that his theory was start shooting and keep shooting until the man you were shooting at was dead. That's that's a good Wild Bill, it. baby. Yeah, Wild Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and definitely, like, again, considering you know, reloading gun is a huge pain in the butt, especially if you're
1: a one arm man. <laughs> <laughs> Did it say how he lost his arm? Nope. Never mentioned. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is great which is great <laughs> right according to Clint Eastwood in a 2000 interview Gene Hagman was very concerned about how they were going to show the violence in this movie concerned about rising gun violence in American cities boy fast forward 20 years 30 years there uh, Gene not, not much, much to change <laughs> yeah. uh, Eastwood assured Hagman that this movie wouldn't glorify gun violence and I don't really think it did no uh, I think it's very far as I think it drew a fine line like it was just enough of a western, and not a lot about gun violence. I think
0: this movie goes very much out of its way to make gun violence look sick and awful. Like it was a specific case of, like, well, simply when they when they kill the perpetrators, like the first one, they shoot in the gut, and they just watch them suffer yeah. for like presumably. About probably an hour, or maybe more, where he's just bleeding out from
1: his gut. And he's, know, he's like, he's like, get the guy some water. We're not going to shoot. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah so
0: like, it, it makes it, you know, it takes away all the uh, the the heroism. But but have you cowboys?
1: Here is something else. This is something that um, I wondered if uh, Eastwood's character ever thought about this. Like when um, after he gets beat up and they're in that little shack, and the lady that had the got cut up, the cut up whore, or whatever. Mm-hmm. When, when when Eastwood was first told about it by the Schofield kid. He told him that, oh yeah, they cut up her face. They cut her eyeballs out. They even cut mm. off her teeth. Remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they cut off her fingers. And when he sees her, you know, she still has her eyes. She still has everything else on her except she's cut up on the face. Yeah. And I think is v- one of my favorite parts of this movie is when he's talking to her. He says, you know, I guess your face, lo- my face looks like yours now or whatever. And and then when he when he kind of sobers up, he's like, look, I didn't mean that. What I'm saying is. I guess basically we we both Ooh, have scars, scars, and yeah. I thought that was very very interesting part of this movie, and I like how he said, she's like, well, you know, do you want a freebie? Because she's you know she's a whore, mm. and he, she's, he's like, no, he's mm. like I, I I can because of my wife. She's like, well, I respect that. A lot of men doesn't respect that. He's talking to like she's still alive, and the oh. lady thinks that he's still married, only to come to find out when she gets back and talking to him. Like, look, he ain't got no wife. No wife that's above ground, at least. Yeah. And I think that makes her like liked him all the more. Yeah. Like, that was
0: very touching. I was a little surprised, though, because, like, I, I don't think... Uh, gosh I don't even know if uh, Francis Fisher's character Alice interacts with him at all in the entire film no
1: but she's, um, he's probably known throughout the town do you know what I mean or, he, or knows who
0: William Money is for real I don't know if like but like even then like he's not local to that town so they wouldn't have any reason to know who he actually is so that's excuse me well but, like, but
1: if you remember Ned and, and the Ned Schofo talked with Hill, her they both went upstairs yeah so if Ned he was told Alice who he covering is, from the floors up and downstairs
0: yeah so maybe maybe Alice does know who he is and had his wife die but even then it's like that information is kind of weird for her to know no, um, so I guess it could be some off-screen stuff that you could infer happened, but still, it's a fine scene. But right. yeah, this this whole film, like I said, goes out of its way to make a violence look ugly in a way. Even the secretary, like he, he he kills him while he's on the john. There's nothing glorious about that. Right. He, he doesn't have access to the weapon; he just kills him dead that way. Um, and even the final scenes where all the violence is going on, like. So many old westerns, like, you fire a revolver, it sounds like a cannon going off, and then it launches three men through a window with flash <laughs> shattering everywhere. It looks amazing and heroic, like you're a, like you're a god, basically. And this film very much goes out of the way. Like, every single bloody death is just like, it's bloody, it's miserable, people don't die immediately, they just suffer and plead out. Like, there's nothing glorious about the violence in this film at all right. that I really appreciate. So um, keep going forward. This I'll was right. be two hours. <laughs>
1: number four on the uh, Films Institute list of the ten greatest films in the genre western. Um, yeah we'll have to look it up see what the other ones are um, that was in 2008 Kyle Um mm-hmm. AFI's look it up. top 10 westerns uh, the windmill that appears in the backdrops for much of the movie was a real operating windmill rather than a set piece and to this day pumps water to the Dow Wetlands Preserve in Antioch, California where it was sent after shooting how cool is that uh, this movie laid to rest Clint Eastwood's longstanding statement why he would never win an Oscar, are you ready for this Kyle? why? Eastwood reckoned he would never win in the running because, first, I'm not Jewish. <laughs> Secondly, oh, I make too much money. Thirdly, and most importantly, because I don't give a F, yeah. since his double Oscar win for this movie, Eastwood has gone on to win two more Oscars as well as an Irving Thalberg Memorial Award and has been nominated an additional six times. Yeah. Okay.
0: So uh... So... <laughs> They called his bluff there, didn't they? <laughs> uh, okay, which was the, um, the, which was the award institution for the top ten films? Uh,
1: AFI Institute's oh. list of the ten greatest Western films in the genre of Westerns in June 2008. Okay, so this list may have been updated,
0: but this is the AFI list right here. The first film is The Searchers. Um next, next one was High Noon. I've not seen that one. Not I've seen, seen that. I've seen Shane. That's number three. Number four is Unforgiven. I don't know where it was yep, there on the number list. Four. Oh, number yep. four. Number five is Red River. Um, I believe it's squad Oh, the Wild Bunch, number six. Seen that one. Um, the Bush Casting and Sundance Kid. We both saw that one. We did another variant podcast here. Is number seven. And next up on number eight is McCabe and Mrs. and Mrs. Miller. I've never heard of that film actually. Um, then number nine we have Stagecoach. I believe we, we covered yeah. that film as well. And then number ten
1: we have Cat Beloy I've never heard of that film. Cat Baloo. Can Can I tell you one that's not on there that I think should be on there? Which? one do you think we should be on there? Tombstone. Tombstone. Oh, it's a great movie. I love it, but I don't know how well that stacks up simply as a
0: western. In my mind. That's weird. I don't know why. I, I don't know why I want to be against that, but for some reason I feel like no, it's not. But it's a great film. I do like why it. Why wouldn't
1: it be a western?
0: What's it going to be, Kyle? Something about it just feels more like an action film in my, my, my mind. It'd be like saying like the Quick and the Dead should be in the top ten films of all time for Westerns. It's like, nah, probably not. It's a great film. I like it a lot, but I don't know if it's top ten Western. Yeah, I think Something about exuding the qualities of a Western. It's like Tombstone, I feel like, goes a little too more in the modern films of its era to not be as westerny as the other films. And that's just me making artificial walls for it. <laughs> I know. I, that's you just, don't really this know. Is, I mean, this is BS in its highest degree on my caliber, but I, that is just something i got to
1: stick with. <laughs> uh, that's including among the 1001 movies you must see before you die. I agree. That's a good point. A good uh, Morgan Freeman actually learned about this movie from none other than Kevin Costner while filming Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Freeman approached Clint Eastwood and got the role of Ned Logan. Excellent. <laughs> for the role of English Bob... Jeremy Irons was considered Jeremy Irons.
0: That would have been an interesting casting choice. But I guess Richard Harris is also an interesting uh, The
1: choice, concept so. for this movie dated back to 1976 when it was developed under the titles The Cut Whore Killings and William Money Killings. Oh, but going back to my thing, when um, Eastwood you know, found, found out for the money uh, that they'd done all this stuff, and then you think when he found out about that that it maybe... I don't want to say changed his mind, but do you think maybe he had a different take on it because maybe the people that he shot and killed weren't?
0: How do you mean? I don't try.
1: Because they were doing it for the reward. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the Schofield kids said that they had cut out her eyes and all this other stuff to her. Yeah. But when he seen that, nothing was. It wasn't I- as bad as what they had made out. I think he, he got a good
0: idea of who the Schofield kid really was as soon as he saw him the first time. So he knew that he was exaggerating probably everything he said, probably.
1: Yeah, he um, said he could kill five men.
0: Yeah, even when he relates it to Ned Logan and said, like, oh he cut her up this way, cut her up that way, even he's exaggerating a little bit. So I think it's just like part of their language at the time and they all kind of understand like it's probably not that bad, but it is bad. And so I don't think it ever I don't think it ever became like more selfish of him in his mind that they were getting um uh they were getting basically revenge money for that case thing, too, because he knew he needed the money specifically to help his, his mother's children. Yeah, And so I don't think his motivation changed. If anything, it maybe actually got deepened when he realized that the um, Delilah was a sweet girl, was a good person outside of just being um, injured. You know, if she was even like a, like a kind of a scummy person, that injury alone is worth uh, uh, putting significant repercussions onto the perpetrator's um so and then finding out oh she was a good person and they injured her, that's just twice as bad in his mind. I even mean, that probably even you know, brought his idea of like these people actually do deserve what's coming to them more. Can I say
1: I just before. love when he blows away the the bartender owner of that place? Oh yeah. <laughs> He's like, Everybody? Step that away. is why maybe they were going to glorify the violence a little bit. Oh, it's yeah. like, you need to step away because like, I'm away. about to paint him on the walls.
0: And, and,
1: and you know, for, and I think he probably did that because he's the one that had Ned outside showcasing. He was them. more mad at the bartender for displaying right. his body than he was at everything else
0: bill, that, for little Bill for killing him. Right. Truly, he really was. He was that. That's what pissed him off. The fact they didn't even honor him after he died was the real thing.
1: Because he says make sure he gets a proper, he sure he's a proper
0: right. barrel. All, all those things. Like that's clearly what set him off more. The fact that they made him <laughs> those guys at the end.
1: He's like, no, no, you should him. <laughs> <Yeah, right>, no, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, in the early 1980s, Francis Ford Coppola got the script and met with John Malkovich to offer him the role of William Money. Malkovich recalled, this offer was not very serious, thank God. I say that for myself and the poor public. And for Clint, absolutely. I would have been a total, total failure. Total. Oh, yeah. Who would have wanted to see that? I wouldn't. I would have just been acting schmacting. <laughs> There are some things you can only have with a kind of mythic figure, which Clint is. Malkovich worked with Clint Eastwood later on in the uh, Line of Fire and Changeling.
0: John Malkovich hit the opinion dead on the mind. Like, I don't even have anything to add to it, necessarily. He is dead on. You're right. Clint Eastwood is that mythical figure. He was the only actor who could have sold that role, specifically going kind of against Western stereotypes in that kind of case. Yeah.
1: Uh, the earlier scene when uh, Money practiced fire's guns is reminiscent of Josie Wells' Uh, Firing guns before the credits of the outlaw of Josie Wells. Um, The railroad used to film the train sequence was also used for Pell Rider. Um, Wild's difficulty in mounting the horse was achieved by... Uh, his holding the left rein close in, which makes the horse turn left. So when he's kept trying to get on the horse, you could tell with his left hand, it was yanking the horse. Yeah, I think it's another thing too about like um, how this west,
0: this kind of goes against western stereotypes here specifically, is that he he plays against kind of like the. Um, the hyper-competence trope, I guess, like you see in like cowboys and western films or outlaws is that they're incredibly good at what they do. Like he falls off his horse several times <laughs> in this film when he goes to do the initial like going to the going to shoot cans on the stop and like missing every single shot he's got. It's and then he goes and he gets the shotgun and just blows it away. he just blows it away and he's incredibly out of practice too. And uh, having that one where like, Nick, he's not ready for this at all. And same thing with Ned, Ned Logan too. Like he's probably, like he doesn't have the same aim he had to back in his day even though he claims otherwise. And Scofield Clune, you Schofield kid, he can't see past he can't the see honest. past his hand really yeah. <laughs> he's got, terrible. the only person he hits is the person he's literally point blank from and even <laughs> then he has to shoot him five times three three, <laughs> three times, something like that uh, so you know, of all these kids are, all these characters are completely uh, over the top of what they claim to be um, but maybe the closest one to it was English Bob and he was also revealed to be a fraud parent. right? Um, so that kind of thing too um, so, yeah, keep going forward. The
1: scenes with Little Bill kicking English Bob around to the floor were, in fact, real. Richard Harris wore padding under his clothes as well as did Clint Eastwood for the fights, as faking someone being kicked around well, it would be impossible. So they're actually getting kicked. They just have padding under them. That's really impressive, actually. We can consider it. like, yeah, I guess. All right, Kyle, lay on the floor. I'm going to kick you a couple times.
0: Exactly, that'd be very difficult. yeah the deal do like, especially like, like, okay, we can do that. Like, if you don't have padding, like, we can do this shot once, and then we have to give him like five days to recover. Especially like Richard Harris, who was an old man at the time. Even if you
1: have padding, it's still going to hurt. I think. Oh yeah, that's what I mean.
0: Like, you need like a week afterwards to kind of like, even like recover from that, where you can fake acting well. And like, I don't know how Richard how old Richard Harris was, but he was no spring chicken in that film. <laughs> you kick a man like that without padding, you could probably kill
1: him. <laughs> (laughs) Um, And last but not least, the Schofield kid uh, has named himself after a Schofield model gun and brags about having killed five men with it, which turns out to be a lie. However, his pistol does indeed kill five men after all. The kid kills the cowboy himself in the outhouse, and William Money shoots four deputies with it. Money also kills little Bill and Skinny but with a rifle, not the Schofield pistol. So oh, cool. I thought that was pretty cool how it came around full circle to have actually the gun did kill five people. Man, I wonder if that's in the script or if that's somehow a happy accident in many respects. I wonder. Yeah. Like, maybe that's intentional or not. Um, um and then uh I'll read the closing uh text that came on the screen, like it opened with um the epilogue text um, that follows reads the money's mother in law whose name is revealed to be Mrs. Arsenal Feathers. Came to visit her daughter's grave, but found that money and the children had long disappeared, rumored to have moved to San Francisco and prospered in dry goods. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty cool that he disappeared. Um, And then lived
0: something of a calmer life out of that and you know prospered a little bit. Maybe he never was fully happy again as he was when he was married, but he still had a life where he got to raise those kids and keep them safe. So he did the man's duty thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Mm -hmm. I guess I, you know, I, I'm i going to turn around on you Jimbo how do you feel about this film overall love it
1: you love it um, I like the score I like the characters um, you actually feel for uh, Clint Eastwood's character uh, money um, I think it's very well written um, and you know me I don't like westerns um, mm-hmm. there's only a select few I do like um, I think the story is enriching enough that you know, you think that the bad guy is these. This I'm thinking to myself while I'm watching this movie. Okay, they're making this big deal and this bounty on this guy that cut up a, a, a lady's a lady. face. Yeah, but you have the sheriff, who's a hundred times worse than this guy mm. that's running this town. And you're like, is this guy going to get his? You know what I mean? And yeah. then. If he wouldn't have killed Ned, I don't know if if he would. You would he never came back. Never he would have left. And took the bounty, and been fine. Exactly. He wouldn't care at all.
0: Exactly. Um, and even then, like William Money is not a, a good person to respect too. And uh, same thing with like um or like the punishment they use on the perpetrators. There's the um the the one younger person guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the one who gets shot in the stomach and left for in basically left for dead and like asking for water as he's begging and pleading for his life. He has a much um, more painful, awful death. Than the actual perpetrator who actually cut up that lady, you know the 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 you know the guy who um was well the like, guy the that crawled, the
1: guy that crawled away was uh, one of the ones like oh he's the, yeah well, he, he was he, his, uh, partner, a right? though yeah he
0: was the one at the beginning of the film who held her back when he started cutting her and then as soon as he st- actually realized he was really starting to cut her he tried to stop her and like that too which which and I then, didn't
1: understand because he was he brought that really nice horse to give to that lady too he you know, did I mean, too he was but, trying it, to make rec recommends, recommends in for- some form in some form of his mind too so yeah so like he he.
0: Like, he didn't redeem himself to any degree. He didn't. He was complicit in a crime that he committed. He was still friends of that person afterwards, who was an absolute you know terrible person. But, I, I,
1: lady. but what I'm saying is, you can't say that he's the one that did it because he didn't.
0: Exactly. Well, I mean, he's still an accomplice. There. He was still there. He did hold her back for a moment and actually let her let him get one of the cuts in on her face before he tried to stop the situation. And then he still and the guy still kept getting cut her before he tried. He didn't like tackle him, try and stop him, and all that kind of thing too. But he was in a. Wrong place, wrong time, and still was complicit afterwards and like letting that happen, even if he did try to make some kind of recompense later. But, but, but what I'm later. saying is, them, them two still weren't hanging out together, though, right? They were still together to some degree. I because they were still part of the same crew at the end of the day. Were they? they I yeah. thought they were on
1: two separate, two, no, two no,
0: they were still in the same general area, um, um herding. They were, they were doing a, a delivery of, of cow herds, basically like that, in the film. So they were still, um, at the very least, they still had to work together. They had to like deal with each other. I don't think they even like necessarily were friends in the film, even. But um, they were still like they were part by that crime. They were together with it, and you know the sheriff didn't do anything, doing punishment to him. And the person who did do the the biggest part of the crime, cutting up that lady you know, like that, he got shot in the bathroom. He was dead almost immediately too. So like, he had like probably the least amount of punishment of the criminals of this film that we kind of describe as. Um, Gosh, where are we going to there? Well,
1: too? I'm going back to mine yeah. since you just, just commented the po- podcast. You told me to go for I'm going I'm I'm to do it again to you, too. Don't worry. I know you are. <laughs> so, for me, mm-hmm. um, you got to remember, I'm not a Western fan. I'm not even really a big Clint Eastwood fan, to be If I'm totally honest, that's fair. I like Gene Hackman. But for me, in this movie, I'm going to shock myself here. I'm giving this a nine out of 10. Mm. I think the story was well done. The acting is well done. The cinematography is well done. Um, the musical score keeps you in and and then you just the Schofield kid. You just you hate him, and and I don't know why. You know they just drug him along. You feel for Clint Eastwood. You feel for his kid. These kids have no mother. They're out there trying to separate these hogs because some of them have fell sick. And, you know, and, and Eastwood knows he has to do something to support his family to keep them going in the way they need to go. Um, so uh, Morgan uh, Morgan Freeman did an outstanding job in this uh, film um do you feel for him when he's getting beat by hackman remember when he says you know i'm going to call him these whores and you know their lies if they don't match your lies he's like it's going to be a lot worse on you than and i haven't even done bad stuff to you yet yeah um but i like how morgan freeman wasn't giving in any information you could tell like gene hackman you know he, after he's lipping him he says that he's sweating dude like he's he's been beating on him a while uh, and he's like, "Well, how come you know this name and this name? You said this name and this name." He's like, "No, no, I didn't." He's like, "The guy said they're writing this stuff down as he said it, so you know he's true." Um, but yeah, nine out of ten for me, uh, outstanding film. If nobody has seen this film, they probably should check it out.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Kyle. Um, yeah, uh, there's some more things that I can
0: mention as well. I think I feel like this um, this film is um, anti-alcohol consumption. I think alcohol plays a really um, strong role in this film. And it was kind of insane. It wasn't until I watched you know, there was a YouTube video about the from the take that uh, if I remember to share it, I'll share it on YouTube. I'll share it on the Facebook group if I remember to share it. Um, but um, talking about the role alcohol plays in this film, and it wasn't until after um, William Money what's character marries his wife that he puts on the drink, and it's clear that after he puts on the drink that he's. He is terrified of the person he was back then, truly. He's terrified he could possibly ever go back to him, that person he was back then. And he constantly goes through, every time he talks to the Ned Logan, um, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, he says, I'm not that person anymore. And he's having clearly having nightmares about the people he killed unjustly and they, how they didn't deserve to die and all those kind of things like that. He's clearly haunted by the things that he did. And uh, similar to Ned Logan, too, he's also haunted by the things that he did and, and refuses to kill anymore because he, just, he knows how awful it was, the things he did. And uh he's trying to do the right thing there, where he's trying to like I feel like he's trying to be nicer and more tolerant of the young Schofield kid than he really needs to be necessarily, because the Schofield kid is just a young brat in many cases. Like I understand you say you hate him, you know, in the film too. and I kinda of dislike him too, because it's just like he's just you know, he's just trying to he's a young, insecure kid trying to prove himself in a western and it's like just shut up.
1: <laughs> and I think since you brought that up, I think it's very interesting that um, after uh, they're waiting for, to get paid, you got Clint Eastwood, a uh, Mooney, and you got the Schofield kid under that tree. And that lady comes out, and he's like, "Look, we'll divide this money up. Count this. we'll I'll take Ned his part." And she's like, "Ned, you, no, your name won't take Ned. And he's dead." And he's like, "He's not dead. He wrote south. No, he's dead." And the Schofield kids over there drinking because he's the guilt of him killing somebody. And then you see Clint Eastwood take the bottle, take the bottle, start drinking. Shreaking. And then that's the character switch yep. right there, and that's he doesn't stop. Yeah, you even see him walking into town. You see the bottle he throws on the ground, so you know yeah. the old man is back to yeah. what he was. Once he brokes his
0: sobriety, that allows him to be the evil man he's always that he's always been, and then he proceeds to be you know uh, a devil basically. I mean, he's a demon in many respects. The way he killed everyone in that room, and uh, and then when the writer goes on to question about everything like that too, um, he he completely dismisses the kind of the legend that the writer's trying to write about him and it's like no i just get lucky in these gunfights i don't know why i win these gunfights i'm no hero and then it's like and it's like but how do you know who to kill first like all i know is who get killed last yeah the right blood i'm like <laughs> get like, out of my face you idiots <laughs> in a really amazing way and it, i think the film is very much and very much like talking about like you know uh it's an anti-alcohol film. It's about the bane of alcohol, and alcohol allows uh, is what is an enabling factor for men to do terrible things. And this film's eye, especially, and I find that's very interesting. And uh, it's also just like how it goes shows how you know Clint Eastwood is so ashamed of what he's probably doing, even doing there when he goes to kill those people. Like he wants to do justice, but even then, like he still goes home, and goes back, just to do his dry goods. Like he wants to be that 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 smaller man in his eye he wants to be the guy who gets dry goods and manages to take care of his kids he wants to be that person I think that's amazing in itself um, but going back to like my overall capture of the film which I should have done in the first place uh, this film I agree to this is a 9 out of 10 film easily in my book I, I you know I the only reason I do to give it a 10 out of 10 because I, I feel like I'm going to do some mid-server to a film I gave 10 out of, a 9 out of 10 earlier that I really loved. Like could have been like Titanic or like know, a movie that I love personally I could have given a 10 out of 10. So I only feel uncomfortable saying give a 10 out of 10 for that reason alone. Uh, but this movie is a strong 9 out of 10. Dang near perfect film in every single respect and I absolutely love it to death. It's incredible work, incredible writing, incredible acting and directing, everything else too. There's a reason it swept all these awards because it absolutely deserved it in every scenario too. So this film is shocking in many ways and i love it to death and i recommend anyone wholeheartedly watch it if you're an adult you know especially you know don't watch it you're a kid obviously there's a lot of adult things going on here but um this film is dang near perfect well worth seeing for anyone right. even if you're not a western fan so that's my uh, overall thoughts on the film
1: so there you have it. that is tombstone kyle next week Ooh. buckle up we have a movie that i had never seen before once again um even though it's it's a uh, long-lived in the horror genre Uh, I don't know if Kyle's ever seen it, but I have watched it already, so... Uh, be prepared, we will be covering Rosemary's Baby.
0: Rosemary's Baby.
1: Uh, it's another Roman Polanski film. You know how we feel about him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we watched, I watched it the other night, and Kyle hasn't watched it yet, so I don't want to say too much right now. But stay tuned for the next week uh, when we do Rosemary's Baby. So. I'm excited and worried. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> All so, right. So, well, with that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close, and that's wrap. And cut.